I couldn't control it. I couldn't stop immediately. Like it wasn't a slow descent into where I was moderating and then I wasn't like I, I just couldn't control it. And I would start getting really, really drunk and like throwing up in very public places and humiliating myself all in that first year. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for asking. So you're like one of the first few people I've talked to that basically has a brand, like like sober powered. I feel like I look at your page and I'm like, I'm looking at a brand. Like you're doing podcasts, you know, you have some ebooks, right? Like you have coaching courses, like you're a brand. And you know, when did when did you start doing that kind of thing? Yeah, well, thank you. First of all, that makes me feel insanely fancy, which is always the goal, right? I mean, and um, it's a great name, Sober Power. That's like, you know, what you So, yeah, when did you start that page? Uh, so I started June 2020, so it's been 18 months, and I started with just the podcast, and I made a new Instagram for it and everything, so no one knew who I was. Um, and then it took a full year before I started adding other stuff. So I didn't start my YouTube channel until June 2021. So you were um, strictly just like, yeah. you know, Apple, Spotify, that kind of deal. Yeah. So I got really comfortable with podcasting and learning how to do all the stuff and like doing Instagram and, and like have emails and all whatever before I added other things. So it seems like I have all this stuff, but it was a very slow addition which is good yeah yeah you took your time with it because i mean june 2020 i know what was going on in the world then i mean people were watching podcasts like crazy because everyone's home you know the audio podcast and um went up even because people were home all day and people were putting out more content because they can you know and like i come from the realm of like stand-up comedy so even though i my podcast is on addiction and stuff like that and recovery I still, my background is stand-up comedy. That's what I did before I got sober. I was stand-up. And so me, for me, podcasting is about laughter and, you know, watching those kinds. And so they started ramping up their podcasts because they're home now and they can. So, you know, I thought about starting mine then too. And then it was just a matter of just me pushing myself and give myself the ego boost that I needed to like, all right, I, you know, it's pretty much my wife that finally was like, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing this? You need to be talking to people. And I'm like, fine, I'll do it. And it's, it's an amazing way to keep me sober. I love talking to anybody about, you know, their, you know, journey basically. So you started the page in June, 2020 and it's grown a lot, you know, and I've seen that, but you know, you come from a background of being an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm two years sober from alcohol. Oh, okay. What's your sober date? November 9th, twenty nineteen. November 9th, twenty nineteen. What was going on November eighth, twenty nineteen? So November 9th is actually the last day that I drank. Okay. Which I know a lot of people would be like, well, November tenth is No, <laughs> it's it's a gray it's a gray area. You know, the last time I sniffed a pill was the morning of April 25th at 4 a.m. before I got on a flight to L.A., right, to get sober. And I still consider that to be my sober date from pills, you know. Oh, so I, I, I'm i the same as you when it comes to, like, the way I look at that date. So, and a lot, a lot of people do look at it that way, too. So what's going on that day for you? 
Yeah, so that was um, that was an anniversary of some trauma. So it was always a weird day. And I felt like I should celebrate, like make the day nice, like do all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go to brunch and drink all day. That is the <laughs> that's the best idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a great idea. Um, even though I had been going to brunch every Saturday and Sunday for like a year or more and blowing up my life consistently every weekend, I still thought that it was a good idea. And I had this whole plan because I had been on a very long moderation journey. I thought it was something I could learn to do. If I just like practice starting and stopping enough, I'd learn how to do it naturally. I really, really believed it too. I really did. And people can, <laughs> people can do it, you know, and, you know, and I'll give people credit. There's some people out there that they can do it. I, you know, I've even had a guy, Ken Anderson, I don't know if you ever heard of him. He wrote the book on moderation, literally, you know, how to moderate your drinking. And he has a Facebook group with 10,000 people and it called hams. And it's all about moderating your drinking and tapering and harm reduction. Um, and he comes from that background of harm reduction from the 90s and doing syringe exchanges. So, like, I and I know he drinks once a week. He does planned intox days where he does drink a bottle and has 17 shots. He doesn't go on the computer and he watches movies all day. And that's his day. And so, like, and he's been able to do that for over a decade and more power to him. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and it sounds like you figured out fast that you couldn't either. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely can't figure that out. So I tried really, really hard, though. I tried for about five years to learn how to do it. I was very dedicated. I researched it in my free time, how to moderate, how to drink less, how to stop drinking once you start, whatever. I was super dedicated, and I just, I just could not do it. You probably even read his book. <laughs> you probably even read his book at one point. It's a very popular book. Um, so, but the thing is that that tells me that for five years you were trying to moderate, which means before that five years you were drinking heavily to the point where you felt like you needed to moderate. So when did your drinking really start then? Yeah, so I started two years before I started trying to moderate. So it was like, it was a fast downfall. Um, but I didn't start till I was 22, actually. You're a late bloomer. You're one of yep. the ones that missed out on the whole high school, college kind of drinking. Yep. So now you got to go extremely hard. Yep. Why did you have your first drink at 22 then? How did you abstain all through high school? I got more questions. We're going to keep going. Like I said, so <laughs> how did you abstain all through high school? What was, was your reasoning for not drinking in high school? I was really bullied. Um, and I never had any friends. So I was never invited to anything. So they okay. protected me by bullying me. <laughs> so I never went to any parties. I just would go home and study. Did you ever um, feel like you were missing out on the parties? Not so much missing out on the parties. I thought I was missing out on the high school experience and having friends and yeah. just the whole thing. Like I wasn't going to football games or How doing... old are you if you don't mind me asking? I'm 31. Okay, so that makes Okay, so yeah, so you're even in the age of social media being in front of your face kind of too in high school then. Yeah, you know, MySpace. Not, you know, yeah, MySpace, yep, was definitely around because I'm 35 and MySpace was around for high school. And when I got to college, Facebook came out. Yep. And so, like, and then you're starting digital cameras. 
became really um, affordable for teenagers and for parents to get his Christmas gift. I used to sell cameras in 2005 to a lot of parents to their teenage kids. So that's when you started seeing the pictures uploaded. So, but if they're not friends with you on the social media, you're not really, you know, seeing it as much as you could today with how Instagram and stuff is. So it's not as bad as it could have been at least yep. for you. So now you graduate high school, you probably got great grades since you were home all the time studying, right? I did, yeah, I did. Yep. And home <laughs> life home life was good with the parents? Uh no, actually. Okay. My parents had a really toxic marriage. Okay. Um, so I hated I hated being home and I hated being at school. So I just kinda like was very angry all the time. And my parents You're like were... a Matilda. Yeah, that's a good movie, by yeah, the way. That, I love it's that movie. Yeah. Like you know, that toxicity, yeah. like constant stress, like you trying to. You couldn't find yourself at school and you couldn't find yourself at home. To... Did you have any siblings? Yeah, I have a younger brother. Sorry, they I get... have a cat here. No, like... I, it's fine. I've had dogs barking and squeaking toys in the background. I have two cats at home. I get it. I have a Russian tortoise in my office over there. He's always Aww. running around like a bull in a china shop over there. Um. So now, how is your sibling with your parents? Closer? No. Okay. Um, okay. So, so you're not exactly like if if he was or she was closer, then you would have been exactly like Matilda. <laughs> but if they weren't, then okay. <laughs> yeah, I think we were pretty even, my brother and I, and I got along better with everybody. I was more of the like people pleaser, perfectionist, uh, make everybody happy, settle all the problems kind of person, and I tried to like protect him from having to do any of that because I was the older sibling um yeah but our parents used to just fight all the time and they didn't like each other and we didn't like our dad so it was like just a lot of stress at home yeah but and that, and that makes sense but did you bond over that with your brother at least you did oh, you yeah. have that bond that's good because it, it would have been way worse right if you were just an only child just like confused and then blaming yourself and you know all that you hear about so at least you did have, you know, somebody to like trauma bond with and not even knowing you were trauma bonding, you know? So, but you're not drinking yet, you know, is he's kind of sheltered too, like not really making friends either. And that's like, you're his friend. Yeah. So he was my best friend. We're still best friends now. Um, but he, he eventually got cool. He was a little like bullied and everything. And then in high school, maybe like sophomore year he started to get cool and like go to parties and have friends and then I was just kind of like by myself but because I was older I started college like right around that time so it was a little easier and I, I wasn't bullied in college so yeah college is a lot more freedom of to kind of be yourself and kind of find find your people there's a lot more people there from different areas you know it's so subjective when you're growing up especially if you're in a small town then like you know you can't really ever find any kind of if you if you don't find something in common right away you're screwed you know, unless a new kid moves to town that's just like you, but what are the yeah. odds, you know? So unless you leave it, which, you know, or go to somewhere else, like a different school, like a college, where people are coming from all over the place, then you can really find some people like, you know, oh, we're taking these classes together because we have this in common. We have this interest together because we both chose this class and it's not a high school class. So, you know, but in college, you're not drinking though either. You're making friends, but you're not drinking. So I had my first drink when I was 18, um, which I guess was like the summer before college. And then I didn't drink again through college. I maybe had like 
a drink like occasionally, but like once I was 21, but I basically didn't drink. And then I started for real at 22. Now, why was it at 22? Was it like a new relationship? I went to grad school and everybody drank except for me. And I, because of the bullying past, I wanted everyone to like me. I had no intention of like ever drinking. I really didn't. Um, I didn't think it was for me. I didn't think it was like a good thing to do. And I like really fully believed the stigma around people who can't like control their drinking. And I wanted nothing to do with it. But then I went to grad school and the professors were drinking with us and there were parties like in the school and there's alcohol on everybody's desk and people are going out to the bar after work. And I'm like, wow, everybody drinks like all the time and they're not going to want to be friends with me. Cause even then I was aware of this like kind of vibe, this like bonding that happens between the drinkers. And I knew I was going to be left out and I didn't want to be. Well, and by then, and and because by then it is that social media thing that we talked yeah. about. Our phones, if you're 22 years old now, it's like 2011, 2012. And yep. now now you have your phone in front of your face. Now we have iPhones. Now we have Androids. Now we can see in the moment what people are posting, what they're doing. Even if we're, if we're friends with them on Facebook, we can follow them on Instagram blindly. And they would just check in on them without even following them and just stalk them. You know what I mean? How many times did you, did you go into an old page when you weren't even, you know what I mean, following it and just so they wouldn't know you were checking in on them, you know? And that used to always happen when I was an alcoholic. You'd never follow pages that you look at the most. You don't want them to even know you're looking at them. And so, uh, you know, that I can see where you're feeling like you are going to miss out on things more. As opposed to high school, it wasn't in front of your face as much as grad school. Because um, I, I, that always plays into factors in some way when you're newly sober like we are, you know, because we dealt with that generation. I always say the old timers, they don't want to know the idea of waiting for their dealer on their phone and looking for the three dots to come up on the saying, <laughs> I know, come through, I'm good. You know, and these are all things that like, you know, I had to stress about for years staring at my phone and having special ringtones. You know, my phone is constantly always on vibrate 100% of the time. My wife has a special ring that will ring through the vibrate for emergencies. My dealer had that special ring for a couple of years, you know, so, <laughs> and, and toxic relationships like you grew up seeing one, you know, were they drinkers? My dad, not really. My mom, yeah. Okay, but but and when they would fight, it's almost like they were each other's drug that they would like fight. You know what I mean? Because that's what happens in those toxic relationships where they're not like pure alcoholics, but they're just not good for each other. And they're trying to make it work because they think they have to make it work. Yep. Yeah. It for sounds the kids like, and yeah, because you don't want to fail and get to like the culture was different. The stigma. Back then yeah, this it was this it, it was a stigma on breaking up a family. Yep. And you couldn't just keep your family together. You selfish. You know what I mean? All those things that come yep. into play. And you're like, I don't want to look like a failure to my parents as a, as a parent. And I don't want to divorce them. My parents are going to think that I'm I'm bad. And yeah, I can totally see where they're just like, you know, they have what's that? The offspring stay together for the kids. It's literally a song that was in the mid nineties. That was huge. Um, but there was that Blink-182. I think it's both actually, but either way. Um, so now you're in grad school and you decide I'm going to drink. Did you just like go to a bar one night with your friends and be like, I'm going to get a beer. Yep. Yeah. I got a Bud Light 
because the person next to me got a Bud Light. I so didn't just, know what to get. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you're like frozen. Like, what do I say? What do I say? Oh, all of that too. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, I, yeah, I'll, yeah. what he said, I, yeah, that's, that's mine. That's my brand. How did you know? <laughs> it's my favorite Bud Light. Uh, but how did, did you, so, but you said it spiraled really fast. Now, how did it noticeably spiral? Were you like your grades suffering? Were you getting in trouble? Were you missing class? Yeah, I never had any um, outward consequences like that, but I picked up the pace really quick and I was able to maintain. Um, so in grad school for science, you go to classes all day and then you work in a lab. So it's like a full-time job or, or more of a commitment. Um, so it was like I had a job and I was going to school. I never missed anything. It was still really early. So even though I was drinking a lot, like it was still the new exciting phase. It wasn't like the self-destruction phase yet. Yeah, um, this is, I'm just making up for lost time phase. Yeah, exactly. It was like the party phase. Like, this is fun. This is what everybody's doing. I would have really vicious hangovers. Like, it, it took a couple Bud Lights, but eventually I got a buzz for the first time. And I was like, whoa, this is the best thing ever. Like, what is, how did I not do this for so many years? And then I was done. And then I was just like chasing it. And what, and because everybody did it every day. It's so acceptable. It's really easy. <laughs> it's not like you're getting high. This yeah, is yeah. alcohol we're talking about. You're you're over 21 and yeah. you're you work your ass off. You show up to work every day. This is completely acceptable behavior. Yeah, my professors were drinking and partying with us. So it looked like I had this whole view of, you know, people that drink are classy and they're successful and professional and I wanted that too. Um goodbye kitty and <laughs> yeah so I thought it was totally normal behavior but then I couldn't control it I couldn't stop immediately like it wasn't a slow descent into where I was moderating and then I wasn't like I I just couldn't control it and I would start getting really really drunk and like throwing up in very public places and humiliating myself all in that first year. This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. Um, and then, like, by the end of that first year, I was a daily drinker. And I, I never skipped a day unless, like, I was so sick from drinking that, like, I couldn't even eat. But other and this than is that, daily, daily beer or daily mixed drinks or da what, daily beer? So I switched uh, pretty quick. 
I wasn't a beer drinker. Um, so you I didn't switched. Catch, you didn't. You didn't strike me as the beer drinker. I'm going to be yeah. honest with you. You, you strike me more of the vodka. You know what I mean? Mixed drinks with vodka kind of drinker. Those were the, the ones the that made me sick. Okay. Because I because I drink fast. Um, so I was mostly a wine drinker, but sometimes a cocktail drinker. And I did love a good Tito's and soda. Yeah, I, I was a Tito's guy for a little yeah. while myself. Um, but yeah, Tito's and Coke. But so but that was on my relapse. Um, and I never had Tito's before. And that was kind of like, I want to try that um, kind of thing. Yeah, it got and, so cool at the end. Like the yeah. last year or so of my drinking, like all of a sudden Tito's was so cool. And I was like, I must try, <laughs> must try yeah. Tito's. Yep. Yep, I know exactly what you mean. Um, so and, and wine was my next guess because if you're you're at the bar and you get a Bud Light, it, and I'm sure you had your first glass of wine, and that first time you drink a, a wine, you get that warmth, and that's probably what you had been like, "Oh, this is what I want, right?" It was that wine, that wine warmth. And it was so classy and fancy. <laughs> Look and at my I glass. Could, Look how right? I hold my glass. I'll Smell give it a sniff. Yeah. <laughs> Then you can educate yourself on the wine and like Look be how an smart expert. I am. Yep. Yeah, and I'm like a sommelier. Tastings and you know there wasn't sommeliers for pills. Trust me, <laughs> we acted like we had some. We acted like some ourselves, but no one was paying us to walk around with a platter <laughs> of different Educating. brands. Different brands. This is the M box. This is the A two one five. You don't want these ones. They'll make you sick. Like we did, we couldn't do that. We just did the pills. But when, yeah, you're classy, it's that whole stigma. It's the yep. opposite stigma of why isn't there a stigma stigma? You know, I always talk about that. I had somebody on, it's 11 years sober, and she talks about the mommy wine culture and how, like, crazy it, it is that it's so acceptable to be a mother and after 5 p.m. be like, it's wine time. You know, there's signs that it's a multi-million dollar thing. You know what I mean? Wine time. It's like T-shirts. It's fucking everywhere. And it's just so loud and desperate housewives. And you could write on Facebook, oh, it's after five, cocktails out, especially during COVID. We all saw the posts. We all saw the moms and dad. It's like drink time. Let's go. There was alcohol running out of the stores where they were putting it on like you could only sell so many bottles a day kind of thing because it was getting so crazy where we are, you know. So, yeah, it is absolutely insane that there's no stigma on that but there's some stigmas on all these other things about getting sober but no stigmas on how alcohol is just so socially acceptable um and classy and so classy <laughs> so classy so you're getting really into the wine and when as you're getting into that like you know when you're drinking wine you're going through a bottle a day yeah, so I had times where I would vary how much, but on average, I was about like a bottle a day, and then the weekends were like probably bottle and a half to two, because I did would you, like did you do go that dance? Brunch and... I was gonna say, did you do that dance too, where you went to different liquor stores so the people didn't see you the same like twice a week or three times a week? Yes, because I was drinking every single day, so <laughs> I didn't yep, like, want to. Oh be shit! Like, I didn't want them to, like to see me again here. Yeah. Yep. Oh, you're back. You drank all that already. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. So I had a rotation. Yep. I knew it. I, I, it's so, I just so embarrassing. No, it's not embarrassing. It's textbook. That's how <laughs> I knew it. You know what I mean? It's it's what a lot of people do. I would even do that with my pill dealer sometimes because mm. I would even be embarrassed to even sometimes <laughs> be like, I need more again. It's been hours, you know, and I would hit up with somebody else just hoping I wouldn't have to see that same guy again. And be like, yeah, I'm back with my tail between my legs for more. 
Yeah. You know, so I totally get that. It's it, it's an embarrassing thing, even as a drug addict. And I wasn't. I remember my we were heavy, and you know, I was a partier in high school. You know, I and we would have partied together because I partied with everybody. And I, I made sure that I wanted to party with everybody, even the people that had no friends. They were my people. I wanted to learn who you were. That's why I do this. So I want to talk to everybody. You know, I I don't like to brag, but I won most talkative in eighth grade and twelfth. You know. <laughs> So, so, you know, I wanted to talk to everybody. So I was at party or very social extrovert. And I remember when we, I grew up in South Jersey and for prom weekends, when we have prom, we don't celebrate prom night. We would go down the shore down to like Wildwood, New Jersey on the shore for the entire weekend, run out of motel and party all weekend. That was our prom weekend. And I remember my senior year, um, I had to go to five different liquor stores with somebody as my runner who was 21 and we had to go to five different liquor stores to buy the amount of beer and liquor we needed for this weekend and my trunk um if i can find the picture i'll pull it up right here on the screen on the final cut um my trunk was an old dodge intrepid and it was filled which i could fit my 300 pound body in my trunk of that intrepid and it was filled to the brim with beer 30 racks and liquor bottles and drove it down the shore and nothing got brought back. I mean, uh, it was mayhem down there that weekend. We, <laughs> it was mayhem. <laughs> so yeah, I partied. <laughs> That's why I got into pills at 22 because alcohol had lost its luster because yeah. I started that at 11, you know, like, cause I wanted to be cool. Like a greaser, like I was watching the outsiders and I wanted to be cool like them. So I cracked open captain and Coke from my parents' basement, and I was drinking Captain and Coke, watching The Outsiders in fifth grade. That's That was my Saturday night. And, you know, I became an alcoholic really quickly. You know, by 12, somebody I knew died for the first time, and I was like, oh, if I drink, I'll feel better. Yep. And then that was my coping mechanism for everything through all adolescence, just self-taught. My parents are very loving. They're still together to stay. You know, not alcoholics whatsoever. And it was just a self-taught thing because I was too afraid to ask for help and too afraid to say, I'm I'm sad that somebody's dead. How do I deal with this? I was too afraid to you know have those emotions at 12. It's a very pivotal age for a boy in the 90s when it's such a you know bad thing to show emotion at that time, and you have to be a man and just deal with it, move on. So I remembered how drinking made me warm when I was in fifth grade, and I said to my friend that I had my first drink with, "Hey, if we drink, we're gonna feel better." And looking back, that's when I became an alcoholic, right? And because looking back, every time I was in a bad mood, we're going to drink. If I was in a good mood, we're going to drink. You know, I, my problem wasn't drinking. My problem that was my solution was drinking, you know? So you're not knowing any of this because you didn't go through those stages, unfortunately. And you're 22, now 24. You're Now you're graduating, and you just graduated college and drinking for two years and graduated, I mean, graduated grad school, right? While you were drinking. So I actually left after okay. my first year. Um, okay. It was a, it was a PhD program and it was like culturally, it just wasn't a good fit. Um, but then eventually I did go back and get my master's degree and drink the whole time, just a oh, few okay. years later. <laughs> okay. So we were going to get there. So yeah, you, so, and it's one of those classic tales of look what I just accomplished with this. Can't Why have a problem? I'm so successful and smart. Look at me and classy. Did you have your own house too? Uh, so we don't own, but we rent. Well, and yeah, I'm, yeah, married. My relationship was fine. I own a car. 
Like there was none. I was not in debt except for student loan debt. Which everybody, but, yeah. Yeah. So that's just like whatever. Part of the deal like, when no you go to debt, grad school. No yeah. thing. Yeah. So you know, yeah, you you're not doing anything wrong. You're not doing drugs. Alcohol is completely, you know. There's yeah. just the shame and the guilt though, because you did have that. If you didn't have the shame and the guilt, you wouldn't have liquor store hopped. Let's be honest. You know what I mean? So you did know that it wasn't good. You know. That's a really good point. You know, subconsciously, you knew what you were doing wasn't right, or else you would have went to the same store every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just one of those funny things that I like to ask because sometimes you don't even realize that you were doing that to avoid, but really you were doing that because you knew you had a problem, but you didn't want to admit it yet because you know, admitting it's having acceptance over something like that is a really powerful thing to finally accept. But it, it takes sometimes a while to get there, but it feels good as hell to get there, doesn't it? Like when you can accept things for how's they how they are and what it is and just like, you know, all right, let's learn to live with it, then it's a lot easier to live, you know? So, okay, because you're graduating, why wouldn't you? Like that's I, – I was always afraid of success and addiction because they kept me going because I was a functioning addict for so long. I, I owned a business and, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong. Look at the business is thriving. I'm working 70 hours a week. Yeah, I, I do pills every day, but look at what else I'm doing. I'm doing stand-up comedy too. And I was right. I, I got asked to do a Philly showcase. Um, and it was, I chose to go to a, a rehab that weekend and the showcase was Monday and I was going to go to rehab Wednesday. And I didn't show up because I was so afraid that if I won, that I wouldn't go to rehab. I didn't think I was going to win. I was just afraid of the success and what it would do to my mind because we both know the kind of shit we can talk ourselves into in those kind of situations. I got this degree. I got this car. I got this husband. And I got money in the look at, but inside you had to have been like feeling like things need to change, right? Yeah, I started to realize it as my tolerance increased. And then I noticed one day the amount of alcohol that I was drinking. I had switched to vodka my second year of drinking because um, we were just like super broke. And and those hangovers. And those yellowtail wine bottles were getting real expensive. <laughs> they add up quick, <laughs> especially when, you know, the weekend you go through five bottles, I bet, you know, maybe, you know, a middle more than two bottles each day because <laughs> you know because of the brunches I, i'm sure you were averaging five bottles a weekend and a bottle to a bottle and a half a day before you switched over to vodka yeah and then vodka it's like you can't track it in the same way because it's a big bottle so it's not like the shame of of like oh i finished the whole bottle or i finished a bottle and a half like you don't have the same you can't track it because it's vodka. So I switched to that. But then I did notice I doubled the amount I was drinking, um, like probably six months or less after that switch. And that's when I noticed I was like, whoa, this is a lot of vodka that you're drinking. You should moderate. You should try to drink less. (laughs) And you (laughs) started, and and that's when you started looking up books that would teach you how to do that. Yeah, so I used to research it online, like what strategies can I do? Have you heard of my friend Ken? The guy I mentioned? I've heard of I've heard of his Facebook group. Okay, um, yeah, and it's then really like popular. moderation management and mm-hmm. there's like a couple things like that. Um 
but yeah, and I would research like it, why alcohol is good for you and like why I shouldn't stop. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I could find it. Whatever I was looking for, I could there's, find. And that's the problem is there's always going to be somebody that writes those things that you want to read if you look hard enough. Yeah. It's almost like, I don't know if you watched Dope Sick um, on Hulu when that came out, but it's almost like what Purdue was doing to put out, you know, all these things every time the doctors say, well, they're already, they're needing more. Well, that just means you need to double the dose. Oh, they're not addicted. That just means that they need more. You know, and they would find all these, they would find this one doctor that would justify it and then tell all these hundreds of thousands of other doctors to justify it with that one doctor's bullshit theory. Mm -hmm. So it's that same thing. We're all just looking for that one person who's going to tell us something that's going to make us feel better about what we're doing. Yeah, and ignore the hundreds of other articles that are <laughs> red flags and you're just like you read aa pants i'm an alcoholic and you're like i don't want to read this and then you put that yep. down because you not me. <laughs> me i don't want to read that book <laughs> yeah i want to read the book that tells me how to moderate and tells me that i'm doing this right and i'm a normal person because i am not like one of them exactly yep I, I, I've been there. I, I've I've been to an AA meeting in addiction. I've been to an NA meeting in addiction, you know, just to please people. And I never went again until I got sober because I knew I wasn't ready to sit in that room. And honestly, yeah. I knew I wasn't ready to sit there honestly and talk to people honestly because I I wasn't ready. It's like me smoking cigarettes still to this day. I started when I was 12, 13 and I should quit. I know I need to quit, but I don't want to quit. I enjoy my cigarette. And that's the problem. And that's why I can't quit and I don't even try. It's because I don't want it. I'm, I quit drinking and I quit doing drugs because I wanted it. I didn't want that life anymore. I needed it day one, but I didn't want it day one, you know, and that's that difference. And I need to quit smoking, but I don't want to. So I'm not going to because it's not going to work. You know, the patch, it'll just make me sick because then I'll smoke on the patch and get way too much nicotine and I'll throw up. <laughs> Shantix doesn't exist anymore. That's the only way I quit before. I took Shantix in rehab and that helped me quit. And then my sponsor was like, what are you doing? You're quitting drugs. You're quitting alcohol. You're quitting smoking. You're on a diet. Pick one. And don't <laughs> pick the other two. So I picked smoking again. I just changed up from menthol to regular just to give it a change. And I went back to smoking. And he was right. I was doing way too much. I was going to overload and just like completely collapse. And I'm glad he told me that. That was the direction I needed at the time. And, I, and I'll quit when I'm ready. And that's the thing is, and that's what I told everybody else about addiction. I will go to rehab when I'm good and ready. Let, I'll let you know when I'm ready for rehab. And that's exactly what happened at 31 years old. I walked into my dad's office. We, you know, we ran a business together. And I said, hey, I need to go to rehab. I found one in LA. I'm going out Wednesday. And he said, for marijuana? And I said, no, I don't smoke as much as you think. Like, it's been pill trips I've been taking to Jersey. all. I was driving two hours each way to Jersey from Lancaster County, where we were living, four times a week to pick up and then drive back again. And I would have my dog in the back seat with me because if she was with me, I wouldn't drive into a tree because I was ready to die, you know. And I, I just, I had enough. And I walked in and I was like, I'm ready now. You know, I'm going. Insurance is covered. I'm flying out. They bought the ticket. You know, because I was ready. That's why it worked. That's why I haven't touched opiates since. I wasn't ready to quit drinking then. And that's why I had a relapse with alcohol, right? And then I had, you know, never drank alcoholically again. But I had that one night where I woke up way too hungover. And when I woke up hungover as hell with my wife, who was an alcoholic before we met, and then slowed down when, you know, met me. I woke up and I was like, I either need to drink now. 
I either need to do pills or I either never, never drink again. And she said, all right, I'll never drink again with you. And I said, okay, cool, because February 29th is a sweet sober date. <laughs> you know, le- leap day, you know, it's a sweet <laughs> sober date. So we both, that's, you know, coming up on two years. Well, we won't celebrate two years officially. We'll celebrate our four-year birthday on our one-year birthday eventually. You know, God willing that we get there. But, you know, the whole point is you have to want it. And you didn't want it yet. You wanted to justify it. You wanted to find ways to make this fit to be a regular person like everybody else that can drink like a regular person. Yep. Yeah, I I had no interest in stopping for like the whole time till I stopped. I just wanted to moderate. No one was asking you to stop either, right? No, nobody. Yeah, people were uh, encouraging it and people wanted to go out and party with me and if I tried to like sometimes I would try a moderation strategy where like I wouldn't drink every single day and people would encourage me like let's party let's go out and then I'd be like okay because I mean I wanted to (laughs) so none of those ever worked and yeah I only got encouraged to drink more and that what I was doing was okay not that it was bad or hurting any relationships or and you and the um, husband, it, not, it wasn't any causing any friction at all with the drinking? It did. Um, like, now that I'm sober and looking back, it absolutely did. But he was drinking a lot with me. He barely drinks now. Um, he doesn't have a problem. But he was drinking and partying with me. I was just yeah. doing it way more um, and not stopping. Like, he would stop. But, yeah, it did. It caused a lot of fights over nothing. It caused a lot of issues in our relationship and like how much we wanted to be with the other person, how much hope we had for our relationship. But like when I was in it, I thought, oh, like it's not affecting my relationship. I have a house. I have a car. I got a job. I got degrees. Like I don't look like someone that has a problem. Like I could come up with a thousand things, but in reality, my whole life was being impacted. Yep. And so my, I, I did have a question. I did see on your page something about drinking on occasions. What do you, what do you mean by that on like your bio? Drinking on a special occasions with like a down arrow. I remember seeing that, and yeah, it caught my eye, and I wanted to like ask you. That's my newest YouTube video. Um, so I get that question a lot, and um, I think the one that sticks out most in my mind is someone was saying that they have this idea that if they can just make it to Christmas, then they deserve a drink on Christmas. They've earned it. Or like same thing with New Year's Eve. Like how can I be sober forever and not ever have a glass of champagne on New Year's Eve? Like we romanticize this like one special occasion kind of drink. Um, So that's what the video was about. And like if you could do that, you just go do that. Like you wouldn't have to think about doing it or like research how to do it or try to do it and fit like you would just go do it and move on with your life yeah my parents don't really drink and they don't have to think about the drinks that they have before they have them and that's the difference they're not doing that whole thing of like shaking looking at the drink should i even do this put this to my lips kind of thing or any kind of drug that you know if you're a drug addict kind of thing you know because they know that what they're doing is okay because it's not going to harm them we know how it can harm us <clears throat> and especially once you do get some kind of sobriety even if it's for a couple of days of clarity you start having that moment of like oh i did that oh i did this and then you start being more self-aware 
you know, and I feel like that probably helped propel you into where you finally stopped, right? Like having that mean? kind, having that kind of momentum of like knowing that okay, that didn't work, that didn't work, this didn't work, that didn't work, that didn't work. I just got to try stopping. There was always a new strategy to try for five years worth. I could probably for 50 years come up with new strategies. But none um, of the strategies ever included just stopping. One of them did. A very desperate one did. And that's what changed everything. So one of them, I was very suicidal when I was drinking. And I would like force myself to stay awake all night and hate myself and think really scary things. And one day... It, it was the same thing as when I quit, like brunch, got drunk all day, passed out really early, woke up, kept myself up all night. And then at 530 in the morning, I was really desperate. And I was like, I'm not going to drink for 90 days. But I never intended to be sober, even in that moment when I declared it, even the next day, even like a month later, I never intended to be sober. I intended to do 90 days so that I could reset my tolerance, like, you know, it's a bad habit that I just have to get out, like all of that crap. So then I could moderate. That was the intention the entire time. However, I did do the 90 days because I was so dedicated to moderating, I would have done anything. But I did the 90 days and I saw, oh, I'm not suicidal anymore. I'm not extremely anxious my marriage is improving I saw all of these things change and that 90 days allowed me to realize like no it's actually alcohol you are not like the issue here alcohol is doing all of these horrible things to you you're allergic to alcohol yeah that whole like I completely understand where that whole concept comes from now and it was that moderation strategy that allowed me to finally accept that this is what alcohol does for me. Like my husband can have half a beer and stop, which is a complete waste of time. I don't know why he does. <laughs> but like for me, I just can't do it. You know, if I if someone locked me in a prison and gave me like my daily ration of one glass of wine, like I could do it. But if I had to do it on my own, I wouldn't. And even one of my strategies was to share a bottle of wine with my husband. And then we wouldn't have any other alcohol in the house. Mm -hmm. And that one kind of worked, except he would let me have a little bit more than half because I needed it more. Yep. Um, and every time I went to bed after doing that, I would think that was a total waste of time. I should have just had none because at least I would have been proud of myself. And I feel like it was a waste. Like I even felt it then that moderating, even though that's not moderating for a woman. Yeah. But I felt like it was a total waste of my time. Um, yeah. So it was the time off and the clarity that you were talking about. Because I drank every day. I didn't even have a second of clarity. So yeah. once you get that clarity, you realize like what alcohol is actually doing to you. And that's how I could stop. And it's not even a coincidence to me that you felt good enough in June at almost nine months sober to do your podcast because 90 days you get clarity at nine months you're a new person yep 
especially if it's from drinking and especially if you weren't like you were in your 20s drinking you weren't like a career always drinker <clears throat> and i mean like from a kid like you know yeah. what i mean so like you you had a quicker bounce back yep. so by nine months you felt strong enough mentally and physically to be able to like okay i can talk about this now on a podcast um and it's because of that clarity that gets even more clear because people right now I know people that are listening to my show and watch that DM me that, you know, they're getting sober watching my show or they just started to try to get sober and they're going to binge watch. I have a lot of episodes and they're watching them and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you think you feel good in 90 days. Oh my God. Nine months, you know, not 18 months. It's, yeah. you know, whole different ball games of kinds of the ways you feel better about mentally and physically how fast you can get to things like acceptance you know, I basically live in acceptance now, you know, mm-hmm. and before I was in such, you know, I I would argue everything. I had an argument for everything and I had a way to justify everything just like you, you know, I would make sure that I had an argument ready and I had like like a lawyer would like just boom, boom, boom. Like, I know I got my story ready to go. But now it's just I accept things and just move on. I'm not even if, you know, someone says something to me that's not even true. I don't have the time or the energy to prove to you how you're wrong. And I'm not going to take the time nor my energy because me trying to prove to you that I am, you know, not guilty. And, you know, you're, you know, you might be like, it's just time consuming and I'm not going to be believed. No one's going to believe me. It'll sound like I'm trying to talk my way out of something. I'm a natural salesman. I can't help to sound like I'm selling something. So I'm going to sound like I'm selling you a story. Even if it's true, even if it's false, I'm going to sound like I'm just defending myself. And I don't have the time for that. If you think one thing about me, I accept that. It is what it is. I can't change that. And I always say that, you know, I'm the good guy in a lot of people's stories. I'm the bad guy in some. I'm okay with that kind of scenario because I can't please everybody. And I used to try to please. Like I said, I want to be friends with everybody. And I try to please everybody. I don't have that kind of time or patience anymore. It's just, if you want to be in my life, I'm here and I'm willing to accept anybody, no matter who you are, you know, how you identify or whatever, like I'm here and I'll be your friend and I'll listen to you, but I don't have the time to make you, you know, like me. I am who I am. And I'm going to say exactly what's on my mind. Always. I live my recovery out loud on the internet every single day. (laughs) Like I, I put out new episodes almost every day. And of all these different stories, and I talk about myself in a way that, like, you can't hold anything against me because I control my own life by talking about it. Do you feel that way when you're talking about your story on your show? Yeah, and, like, you said this in the beginning, too, that it's really powerful accountability. And I feel that people care. Maybe they don't specifically care about me. I think a bunch of people do, but not everyone who listens will. Some people just want... um the they want to hate. They, they want to hate. Listen too. Let's be real. Like I grew up loving Howard Stern, and most of his people that listened to him hated him. They just wanted to see what he's going to say next. <laughs> you know, there's always going to be haters that watch with you. Sometimes the haters watch you even more intently than your lovers because they want to find reasons to hate you. You yeah. know, and it's 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 a shame. I feel bad for them. I feel bad for the people that want to sit there and hate anybody because there's I don't have enough time in my life to just sit there and try to hate everybody. I, I don't, I, I, you know, I've been there where I wanted to have reasons to hate everybody to make us all feel better. And I feel for people that want to do that because I know that you're hurting inside 
And I know that you just need to find some ways to get some help, maybe get some therapy. I don't know, but therapy saved my life. You know, I love therapy. I think even having this as therapy, you know, how now how does your show go? Do you interview people? Is it a solo kind of podcast? How does your podcast go? Yeah, so it's like 99% solo. Um, so I have almost 80 episodes and most of the time it's just me talking about addiction science and like explaining some type of concept. Like my most recent one was about non-alcoholic drinks and why they trigger some people. So I explained, um, you know, I explained like the whole spectrum. There are some people that quit early down in the spectrum and non-alcoholic drinks are a great tool. And there are other people that, you know, were, were very addicted to alcohol, maybe physically or psychologically or both. And for them, a non-alcoholic drink is a huge trigger. And I talked about like what's going on in the brain to cause that trigger. I want to touch on that actually, if we can, mm -hmm. if you have time, um, is today's episode, you know, we're recording on Thursday. Today's episode I released with this guy, Larry. Um, I know him from Massachusetts and I went to college. <clears throat> he was in night school 10 years clean in his 40s. And I'm 19 in night school because I'm working during the day. I didn't know what 10 years clean was then, you know, but we became friends on Facebook and we remained friends. And I would see his journey throughout the years. He's 25 years sober now. So I sat down and talked with him the other day and I wanted to hear his story. And he was telling me he had six years clean from cocaine. He was going to N.A. all the time, really, really indoctrinated sponsees and the whole nine. And it wasn't until he moved away from where he was for work and he didn't find meetings. So he lost his meetings and his connection. And then when he was hanging around these new people at his new development, they were like, hey, we know you don't drink, but we got you O'Doul's. And as soon as he tasted it, he was the alcoholic from his childhood. He was gambling at 10 years old. He was drinking at 12. He was, you know, snorting coke by 19 and this was 80s cocaine this is that pure colombian coke he was getting you know that you see in the movies literally massachusetts the you know the pure coke that was coming up there and so like he was off to the races until he got sober in 87 but when he relapsed with oduls he knew na was going to tell him and when i say na i don't mean non-alcoholic i mean narcotics yeah. anonymous he knew na would say hey you're not clean anymore you got to reset your clock and then there's that stigma that I hate of that clock watching, because when you get too caught up in that clock watch and you don't just he could have easily to this day, because he still never touched Coke to this day it's since 87. And, you know, I said to him, you know, you could have looked back and been like, oh, I had a drink in 93 one time since 87. And that would have been a hell of an accomplishment. But instead, because of that stigma, you then said. Well, what did I not do in my addiction years that I always wanted to do? Heroin. And then now I can bankroll it because now I have a lot of money in the bank and I can afford to do heroin every day. And he did dope for three years, something he never even did in the 80s because of that clock that reset all from that non-alcoholic O'Doul's that gave him that that craving. And we always talk about, I don't know if you're in a meetings, if you go to meetings, but we talk about the sensation of craving a lot. Mm -hmm. And once you get that taste of that drink, it doesn't matter if it's non-alcoholic. If you are the kind of alcoholic that hasn't had that taste in a while and you get that flavor again, it's on. You need more. You, you need more. You want more and you're going to get it, you know, because it's a you, you tasted it again. It's like me with pills when the doctor tried to give me opiates when I got my gallbladder out. And they wanted to give me pills to take home. I was like, I don't care if you, I, I got doctor scripts before and I didn't take them right. 
listen, I'm not taking them, you know. You get bad enough, you shot me up with fentanyl when I told you not to, you know, and it got me all super high in the, in the hospital, maybe withdrawal for 18 hours. So luckily I had such a bad reaction from fentanyl in the hospital over the summer that I never wanted to touch drugs ever again. Like it is the furthest thing like from me whatsoever is thinking about doing drugs again because I'm going to die. I don't have another relapse in me. I don't have another recovery in me. The way I did drugs, it was way too intense. And the way fentanyl is today, I would not be safe. You know, and I know that about myself. And I think working on this program is about being self-aware and doing a podcast and putting yourself out there every week. You can't be more, <laughs> more self-aware than that. I mean, do you have any family or friends going, Joe, what are you doing? What are you saying? Uh, lots of people don't listen. So I think if you're considering starting a podcast and you're afraid of that, just know your family most likely won't listen to it. Even yeah. if you ask your friends to. Um, I was worried that my husband would feel really uncomfortable. Like, watch because... his dad. Dad, call me when you're watching this one, dad. He's not going to watch it. <laughs> my best friend, he's not going to watch it. Right now, my brother might be don't. laughing. My brother might be laughing because I know he throws it on his office. But my dad, he'll get through the first 10 minutes and be like, I, I, I gave him enough. <laughs> yep. he, he doesn't like hearing the stories. It, it hurts him. To, and he's told me that. And my mom told, and straight up told me I can't hear your stories because it hurts her way too much to hear what I've, you know, but yeah. I, I do have some family members, you know, I, I had an uncle that came to me at my brother's wedding in October and I didn't know this. He was like, I watch all your episodes and man, you do. I, I, and he's like, I can't believe the way you talk about what you talk about. I, I, I'm just so impressed. Like I would never say those kind of things. And I'm like, yeah, well, when you get to be my point, you kind of have to say those kind of things and make it easier to live. And he's like, yeah, I, I've heard you even say that, you know, like, you know, I just I respect what you put out there. He's he's not an alcoholic or ever really never had a problem with anything. You know, he was a very hard worker and a great family man. So, like, it, it felt it felt good to, you know, hear like, oh, well, somebody's watching that actually appreciates, you know, what I'm doing, you know, because we butted heads when I was growing up because we're not directly related kind of uncle and so we butted heads because I was always the rebellious one my brother and sister are the angels that everyone loves and I was the rebellious one that would just go and do my own thing and not show up for holidays and be very selfish and you know it happens you we find our ways how we find our ways you know and I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing now especially with like helping people and you know how how good does that feel when you start getting those messages like you know I'm sober and I'm listening to your show yeah and it really keeps you going too like even if sometimes a week is stressful or do you get or caught like, up in numbers do you look at the numbers I did in the beginning really bad and I the numbers like equaled how many people liked me in the it, beginning it, it's, it's hard to new, get out of it's that. our new it's our new high yeah, it, it's our new high. It gets us high when the numbers hit and then it brings us down when the numbers don't. Yeah. And then, you know, it's like, oh, I need to put out some more content so I can get high again. And then but the thing is, what really gets me the highest is that when I get those messages, because like yeah. sometimes I want to quit and I'm like, no one's watched or listened. Look at the retention on this. Like they, they dropped out after seven minutes. My wife's like, stop looking. I don't look and, at those and, for that reason. Yeah. But then I get the messages you know, and then I get the messages like, hey, thank you so much for what you do. Like, and I'm like oh, yeah, that's why <laughs> that's that's why. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for taking time to sit down and talk. Um, you know, I know it's usually harder to do this, but it's easier for us because we do it, you know, all the time anyway. 
Um, I will have all the links to your shows and your socials in the description. So whether you're listening or watching, you'll be able to go to the description to learn more about Jill and her channels and what she's doing because I think it's awesome. And there are people out there like you all over that started drinking as a late bloomer and they're trying to moderate and they're trying to justify and they need to find people like yourself where they can go, holy shit, that's me. I need to connect with her because we had the same kind of story and that's a powerful thing to have that kind of connection. It's the opposite of addictions connection. That's what they always say or whatever that cliche is. There's so many cliches in recovery, but thank you so much again, Jill. Have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.